Please meet Associate Professor Mark Putland, who's the head of the emergency department here at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, and Susan Harding, who's an emergency department nurse unit manager here as well. Uh, Mark, Susan, if my, I may call you by your first names, good morning, and thank you so much for having us here. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. No, it's great to be here um, uh, when hopefully we're not in your way. Not at all. I've been told that you'll, you'll boot me out of the way if it... We, we would be very quick to move you on if we needed to. <laughs> I'm quite sure, without any ado. So what's it been like in, in ED? Have you had some very worried people turning up here? Look, we've had a lot of, look, we've had a lot of uh, worried people since about the 25th of January uh, things took off for us um, when the first Victorian case was found. Uh, and we had a, a real flurry of cases for uh, about a week and a half. Then it, it quietened down to just a trickle of people coming with concern since then. And then in the last five, six days, uh, it's picked up again. And when I say picked up, we're seeing, for example, yesterday we assessed 18 to 20 people who travelled overseas in the last 14 days, and about 10 or 11 of those actually met case definition, potential suspected case definition criteria for the virus, and so we put them through our assessment process. Okay, but as we heard, we've got 10 infected in Victoria, mm. so I guess does it follow logically that none of those ended up being so, so, declared yes, positive? So those ones, yes, that's right. We've only detected two positive cases here at the Royal Melbourne so far. All up? In total. Wow, okay, only two. So we're really in a preparation phase. We, our challenge at the moment is we have a lot of people, we don't know when the disease will be here, we'll find out when it's here. And so we have people coming who are at risk of it. Uh, our challenge is to isolate them from each other and from everybody else in the department so we don't become a nidus for worsening of the whole process. We don't mm. want to bring people here and spread it here. Uh, and at the moment, that, that's our real challenge, to get those people assessed and isolate the cases that are at risk and then find the ones who are positive and, and get them separated off from the rest of the community and, and monitored safely. That will change. Susan, we were talking before we went to air and you used a marvellous description that I know that a lot of medicos use, which is the worried well uh, coming into hospitals and the like. Talk to us about those because that's a, that's a particular state of mind and also a particular potentially maybe an infected state that needs to be dealt with as well? I think we're sort of in a position where we don't want to over-catastrophise the situation, but we do have a lot of people that we want to be cautious. So mm. I think it's a fine line with asking people to be proactive with things and then having an expectation that they won't present. So we are getting a large proportion of people that proportion of people that we would consider the worried well and it's about managing that because obviously we don't want well people coming here and as Mark said you run the risk of becoming infected but there's challenges within the community around getting tested so it's it's really trying to balance out everything at the moment. Who are the groups that should be a little more concerned than others? I think any return traveller within the last 14 days needs to uh, find out appropriate information. Uh, there are hotlines with the Department of Health which we encourage people to phone and get further instruction. Uh, people can access their GPs. I think that if you are a return traveller, obviously there is the potential there. If you are a return traveller that has been to a known country of high risk, then obviously you fall in a higher risk category. But Lots of people travel every day uh, and what we don't want is every single person that has returned mm. to come to the hospital, particularly if they are well. You need to watch for the symptoms. Absolutely. Describe what those symptoms are, Mark. So it's, it seems to be that we're, symptoms of coronavirus can be anything from a cold uh, at the very mild end through to a, a severe sort of pneumonia at the, at the severe end. So it's similar to influenza in a way. Uh, uh, most people who have influenza feel pretty awful 
and get you know moderately sick. Some people they will pick up influenza in the same family and sail through it, just looking like they've got a cold. Other people mm. will end up in hospital, and that's what we're going to see with coronavirus as well. And that's a challenge for us because uh, it's hard to differentiate coronavirus from lots of other illnesses that we're going to see, especially as we go into the winter time. The uh, the important thing is really that unlike some diseases like, say, meningococcal disease, where a very mild disease this minute might be something very nasty in a few hours' time, coronavirus, as we understand it, is not like that. If, okay. you, if you have what seems like a cold, it doesn't really matter if it's coronavirus or if it's coronavirus or influenza or the common cold. You, you, you have what seems like a cold. There's nothing we'll do that will change that, and you just need to pay attention to yourself over the coming weeks, not hours, but weeks. Um, and if you are becoming more unwell... Uh, that's when you want to seek help. That's a great bit of information, I think, that hasn't been spoken about enough, that there's no rapid deterioration with this virus, as, say, people may have seen, and let's be frank here, as they may have seen in movies or reading books, for example. That's right. I mean, there's a lot of fear when we talk about a disease outbreak, about something that's going to gallop away from you. What, what, the, what we're finding with coronavirus seems to be that people have about a week of a, of a flu-like illness, a lot of people recover at the end of that week like they do with every mm. upper respiratory tract infection. A, a subset of them go on and get worse in that second week. And so um, while if you were a return traveller or you had some contact with people, you might be at risk of the disease and you had symptoms, we want you to isolate yourself and to not spread it to others and don't go to work and don't prepare food for strangers and all those sorts of things. Be sensible about your infection control. You don't need to rush to hospital either. You need to monitor yourself and see how you go, because if you get better, you get better. Susan, you and I walked along uh, a corridor this morning, and you took me to uh, a, a makeshift room that had just been set up overnight, I think, and it's your new um, isolation, quarantined waiting area. Tell us about that. So, obviously, we're a busy emergency department outside of coronavirus, uh, and we are getting a lot of worried well people. And, and as Mark's already spoken about, we're trying to be proactive in our approach. So whilst we don't want an open-door policy, because, again, we don't want well people coming here, we have to uh, be realistic about the fact that the numbers are increasing. So we needed to create a space where we could adequately segregate people away. Uh, we could do appropriate testing if required. Uh, and when we say as required, we have a screening tool that we use. So we don't want to get to a stage where we're absolutely uh, swabbing and testing everybody because I, everybody because I don't think uh, long-term that is sustainable. But a space that we can comfortably set up we can screen people, we can offer them the time to explain what they need to do, to talk to them openly and honestly about what self-quarantine means mm. and what they need to do and what they need to look for over the next 14 days. It's been suggested on text this morning that the very discussion we're having today is fear-mongering. What would you say about that, Mark? Uh, look, I think it's, it's a really tricky thing because we've prepared many times for various kinds of pandemics or outbreaks. We, we we prepared every time Ebola breaks out in Africa. We prepare for that. When the flu season comes, we prepare. We prepared for many things, and and we haven't really had anything eventuate into a really serious pandemic. Not since 1918. And so, mm -hmm. and so there is. We're caught between not wanting to look like uh, uh, prophets of doom or to be predicting something terrible, but at the same time, we don't want to be caught out and find that we looking back in three weeks' time and saying why the hell didn't we prepare something for all these people? So, look, it's, it's tricky. I think it's very important we talk about it. I think it's very important we talk about it sensibly. 
This is a disease that it seems to infect a lot of people around the world, a lot of people recovering from this disease around the world. Mm. Uh, influenza infects a lot of people around the world. This is probably worse than influenza, uh, but there are things we can do to mitigate that. Part of that's our preparation right here, and part of that's what people do out in the community to manage their own risk. Well, that's why we wanted to come here today, and that's why I know the hospital is very happy to have us here, in order to have that sensible conversation. You'll let me know when I start to veer off the track mm. into fear-mongering. Mm. But the preparations that you're making here are clearly very serious. What about staffing? What's the challenge around that, Susan? I think one of the things that's really important to us is staff well well-being. Mm. If we don't look after our staff, then they can't provide the care that we need them to provide. If you start to get sick, that's right. Correct. So, and also, we don't want to be alarmists and create a space where we've got space where we've got people that don't want to come to work to provide that care. So, we've spent a lot of time in educating staff about appropriate precautions. Uh, about we've done some training videos. We've probably ramped up our education. The education is always there, mm -hmm. but we've had a real focus on that. Uh, we're making sure that we've got appropriate stock and stores to be able to provide a safe space for staff to provide the care that is required. So at the moment you're getting presentations, it would seem, Mark, in the last couple of days it's just spiked up, you said, around about mm. 18, 20 mm. a day. And uh, the preparedness in case that number increases, what are you doing out in the ED? So we've got a number of approaches. The, uh, we've, the fever clinic uh, area is opened uh, down the corridor, so for 10 hours through the day we will be diverting as many people as we can through there for assessment for this. That'll That's a very old-fashioned term, isn't it? Fever clinic. Clinic. Yes, yes. We're actually calling it the screening clinic here because fever doesn't have to be present, but we can't get away from the term fever clinic because it's been around <laughs> for so long and it gets recycled every every few years when sure. something like this comes up. Um, that, at the moment, is operating just during the peak arrival time. People are mostly coming in with this problem during sort of the middle of the day, mm. but we're, in a, we're poised to make that a 24-hour service if we need to and we can scale that up. Um, we, one of the tricks for this is that we are preparing for multiple possible scenarios. We may be in for a very bad flu season, uh, effectively. As well. Well, yeah, yeah but, but this might look like a very bad flu season. It might be COVID plus flu adds up to what, for, for a health service, just looks like a, a worse than usual flu season at the very mm. best end of the spectrum through to something, you know, we're seeing terrible pictures from China. and um, So we're trying to prepare for all those eventualities and everything in between. Uh, and that's important because as long as it's, as long as we mitigate the risk and we keep it under control and it comes to us as a very bad flu season, well, we want to provide really business-as-usual care to everybody else who comes in. We don't want to compromise that care um, simply because we know that there's this other threat out there. Threat out there. A question here on text. Do you or do you not have a much greater chance of dying from the flu? It's been suggested that I'm refusing to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, look, it's really hard to answer that simply because we... It's a, we don't, the case fatality rate for COVID is not well defined. And what that means is the number of people who get the disease who will die isn't well defined. And the reason it's not well defined is we don't, we're, we only know if you've got the disease if we find the disease. Now we find the disease in the sickest people, the people who bothered to come to hospital and get diagnosed with the disease. Mm. So we don't know. There may be lots and lots of people around the world in China and Iran and South Korea and here, or not here yet, but elsewhere, who may have the disease and not be unwell enough to seek medical attention yes. and so that if we encountered all of those we'd find a, it was a very safe illness however amongst the people who bothered to come to hospital and get diagnosed it would seem there's a it, it's a more dangerous disease for those people than for the people who get diagnosed with the flu but we have a much more aggressive and well set up system to diagnose the flu 
If you can hear that background noise, it's because we are broadcasting from the emergency department here at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. I'd like to reassure you that we are not in these busy professionals' ways and that we're here at their invitation. So it's, it's great to tell you about the work that they're doing. Mark Putland and Susan Harding, thanks so much for joining us today and for being such such solid, sensible people and giving really great information to the community. I know everyone appreciates it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming along. And great to have your company on board with mornings as well. It's 19 minutes past nine. Virginia Trioli broadcasting with you until 11 o'clock. We're going to be taking you up to the special isolation ward that the Royal Melbourne Hospital has in place here. And also taking your calls as well. 1300 222 774. A lot of the questions have